Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, Certified Life and Relationship Coach, and Happily Divorced Mom, who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages, and then guides them through the process one step at a time. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you've gotten your kids back in school and your teens are starting to get back in order. Uh, I know for me, I feel like September is the real new year, right? Like this is the time that I start to make all sorts of resolutions. Like, oh, I can get back into a regular exercise routine. I can try to commit to meal planning or to being more regular about a morning routine, whatever, right? All the things that totally got away from me during the summer, I can sort of try to return to. Uh, once school starts, I can kind of get back to myself, really, once we get back into those regular routines. So I also feel like this is the time that many women think, okay, now's the time to really figure out this, should I stay or should I go shit, right? So if that's you, you're not alone. Summer's over, family vacations you committed to are over, and maybe the summer was like the last straw, right? The last time you wanted to be on vacation, feeling like shit with a spouse you felt disconnected from, or the toxicity was more than you could bear. Whatever the situation, trust me, if this is what you're feeling right now, you are so not alone. The women in my Facebook group are having all of the same feelings, and the ones who are doing my program are getting so much clarity. And it is so exciting to watch these women burst open like gorgeous lotuses. So if you want to join my Facebook group, which is for women only, the link is in the show notes. Um, If you want to join my program, that link is there too. This program is transforming women's lives like nothing I've ever seen. And in case you're wondering, like it is super duper duper affordable. Like I have kept this at a really accessible rate because I just want you all to be able to do it. Check that stuff out. All right, so on to today's episode. Today I have with me Rebecca Zung. Rebecca and I met when we were doing Laura Wasser's Divorce Sucks podcast together, and she and I had a really interesting run-in with Shaq at the studio, which we talk about uh, at the top of this episode. I loved meeting Rebecca, and we immediately knew that we had to be on each other's podcasts. In fact, I was on the podcast that Rebecca does with my next guest, Susan Guthrie. Um, Their podcast is called Breaking Free, a modern divorce podcast, and I was on it the other week, and we're going to throw that link in the show notes as well. Um, Lots of stuff for you to check out in today's show notes. Um, Anyway, Rebecca is one of the top divorce attorneys in the country, and she and Susan have not only an amazing podcast, but also an online mediation service called Breaking Free Mediation, which Susan and I will talk about in our episode in a couple of weeks. But today, Rebecca and I talk about the art of negotiation, which she is a master of, and she speaks about it all over the country. So this is a super important episode for you. If you're about to go into a divorce process and you know you're going to have to be negotiating some stuff, stay tuned. Take a listen. This is super important. So I am so thrilled to have met Rebecca and to have her on today's show. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Rebecca Zung. 
Rebecca, thank you so much for being here and for talking about this awesome topic of negotiating in divorce and all things sort of, I think, in the legal realm of divorce, which is where your expertise lies. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. It was yeah. so cool to meet you. I got, I got to meet you in person. Yes. Oh my God, you guys. I don't know if you guys saw on my Instagram. Um, I'll put it in the show notes, but um, Rebecca and I met doing another podcast for Laura Wasser and we met Shaq together. <laughs> oh my God. That was crazy. I mean, the picture that I, that I got of, of me with him, I posted it on my Instagram also. And I got so many comments because I looked like a little child. Exactly. Like you know? he really is that big. Oh, so huge. Yeah. He really is that big. And then I don't know if you like, you know, we got, we kind of, he and I kind of got into it a little bit. <laughs> oh, he was so funny. He was like, all right, who can give me advice on, uh, you know, our, our uh, emails cheating and, you know, all of that. And I, of course I tried to angle to get him on my podcast. I said, you want to get on my podcast? I'll answer the question for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He wasn't having it. No. <laughs> he was not having it. I was like the same way. I was like, so I was like, so is email cheating? I was like, I don't know. Would you like, how would you feel if she was, if she was saying those things to someone else? He's like, I don't know. I wouldn't know because I wouldn't be snooping in her shit. I was like, okay, Shaq. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was funny because we kept trying to get him to answer like, well, would you think it's cheating? And he was like, Oh, different topic, different topic. Like he just wasn't even going there. He was not, he was not coachable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, so you're a divorce coach. So what do you think about this? And then when I tried to engage him in conversation, he was like, uh-uh. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and yeah, like, now there's a guy who gets what he wants. Exactly. I'm not going to argue with Jack because he's 85 feet tall. Yes. And not even an exaggeration. Like literally. Not. Literally. And I guess, you know what, this is actually an interesting segue, right? Because I thought about what it would be like to negotiate with someone like Shaq, who is physically overpowering, who is, you know, not necessarily open to compromise, it seemed. I don't know. And I think that a lot of women relate to that, right? We relate to being the physically smaller person in the relationship, this more submissive and possibly a more, you know, dominant relationship. And then we're going to, like going to the negotiation table with someone like this. Wow. So what do you do, right. So what do you do? What do you do? Do, you the do? Other side is more powerful. Yeah. Um, or at least you think that they're more powerful. What do you do? Um, there are so many things that you can do. And the first thing is to stop thinking that you have no power and that there's no way to negotiate with that person. Uh, what I say to people is, do you want to be right about that or do you want to get what you want? So, you know, instead of being entrenched in, they always get what they want. They are so powerful. I, I can tell you so many times I've had women come to me, especially, and they'll tell me, my husband is super powerful. He always gets what he wants. Yeah. Uh, you're never going to be able to stop him from getting what he wants. And, um, you know, one of the women actually said to me, my I don't, I want to know if you're the right one for me. You know, my husband is, is the type of person that he's going to run out and get the top divorce attorney in the area. And, you know, are you going to be ready for that? And I looked at her and I said, well, he's not going to be able to do that because you already have me. 
<laughs> and, Bam. and she That's smiled that. and she goes, you're the one for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so much of it is also a mindset, right? I mean, I walk through the different steps of negotiating, but the very first step is that you and you alone define your value in internally. So I tell people to, to negotiate from the inside out because you have to do the inside work in your head. 80% of negotiating happens before you even walk in a room. If you want to win a negotiation, you have to do the work before you even walk in. Yeah. And, and it starts, and what, what, what people think I mean by that when I say that is that they have to do their research and create their arguments and all of that, which is the second part of what I think people should do. The first part is getting your head on straight and, and feeling your own value because you and you alone define your value and people will think what you tell them to think. So if you go in, you know, a, a perfect example is Stevie Nicks in um, when she was on Oprah's masterclass was talking about how she used to, when she was at San Jose State University and she was 18 years old and she was, you know, singing in some band or whatever, but she was still going to college and, you know, how we all are at 18. Right. <laughs> she was at San Jose State. She wasn't at Juilliard or anything. Right. And um, she would dress up in her most amazing rock and roller clothes that she bought at some thrift store and she would walk across the middle of the campus and think to herself don't you people know who i am i'm a rock star yeah why don't you know who i am you should know me um it it started within her first this was long before she became stevie nicks and fleetwood mac and the whole thing so it really started there first so so much of the work of negotiating, negotiating starts with, you know, feeling your own sense of value because that's number one. And then, of course, so there's internal value and there's external value because there's, there's the external value that you may have as a person in that job with those years of experience at that type of company and all of that. Of course, that's something that's there's there's going to be a range and somewhat more fixed but your internal value that you feel of yourself as a human being is you know endless i mean you know we should feel whole and complete we are whole and complete and it's only the stuff that happens to us as uh children that we start coming up with i'm not worthy and and, and covering up all that shame and all the stuff that Brene Brown talks about, you know. So, so that's the first step. Yeah. Then, of course, having the knowledge and having your research and having your arguments ready, all of that preparation will help you because once, once you go in there, you, you will be able to use all of that part of your preparation is going to be anticipating what the other side is going to argue right. and being ready to refute that. Right. And then another part of the preparation is figuring out what the other side's pain points are because they obviously have them. They, they wouldn't be negotiating with you if they didn't have some reason to be in the conversation. So what is that reason? What's motivating them? What do they want? The most powerful people, if they don't want anything from you, they're not going to sit down and have a conversation with you. So right. there's something there. Yeah. And 
figuring out what that is and, and addressing that pain point so that they can get what they want is going to be critical. Yeah. I love this. I mean, this is so, it's so clear, right? And how do you, I mean, the internal shift, right? That's the work I do, right? So um, I love that you talk about that because that really is the work that I do. And it's one of the reasons that I advocate, and I wonder how you actually feel about this. <laughs> we haven't talked about this before, but um, I think I know how you feel about this. Um, that we not jump into the negotiation process. We don't jump into, you know, we uh, often when, when we get divorced, right. Or when we separate, we're in a huge fucking hurry to get this over with, right. Get through it all, get it done, get all the decisions made. And, you know, we're making the biggest legal and financial decisions in our lives in the middle of the biggest emotional upheaval of our lives. And that's a really shitty combination. Often. Exactly. Exactly. And most of us go through a divorce when we're at the lowest point, like at the lowest of our self-esteem, our personal value, like has been downtrodden for years. Right. And we're just like, uh, we're at the bottom. Right. So to jump into a negotiation process from that place sounds like a really bad idea. Yeah. I always say that there is a divorce paradox and the divorce paradox is that in the most worst traumatic time of your life and divorce and death are always at the top of every survey or poll that you hear about the most traumatic things people can live through at the most traumatic time of your life, you have to make the most critical decisions of your life about your money, your children, your home, your business, all the things that mean the most to you. Because when you're negotiating that settlement, you need to remember that you're going to have to live with this Uh for the rest of your life or the rest of your children's, you know, childhood or whatever it is. I mean, that's it. Um, Property settlements are not modifiable and, you know, and it's really hard to modify any part of an agreement, frankly. Once the final judgment is entered, now you've got a whole different standard to try to get it modified. So you've got to get your emotions under control. You've got to get your emotions under control. But here's the thing. Here's the crux and the key and and the the way I approach, approach negotiation is different than anybody else because this is the thing everyone needs to notice and, 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 mem- and remember when they're going to negotiate. And that is that between two people, whenever, or between any persons, whenever there's any human interaction, the, the common human experience is, is every single one of us on this planet, all 7 billion of us who are on here, want to know, do I matter? Do I mean something to you? Do yeah. I have value to you? Yes. And, and the reason why negotiating is so much harder, the, the more you have at stake, it's even worse, is because unlike regular interactions like you and I are having now, there's this third thing that's going on. It's a transaction that's involved. And the outcome of that transaction will now become the measurement of how much you valued me or how much I mattered to you. And most of us can't deal with that vulnerability. And um, it stresses us out because we're going to like be exposed for um, not having enough value or not being worthy and all that crap that we all carry around 
now comes bubbling to the surface and, and, and it's like the worst. Yep. That's yep. why no one wants to do it. Yep. I will tell you that, you know, one of the things that my ex and I, we get along great, right? Had a shit ass marriage, had a phenomenal divorce. And as we've, as you know, you know, you learn, you learn how to work with people over time, right? And one of the negotiating tactics that I have to take on with him when we're negotiating anything around parenting is, and he was really clear about this. He actually told me, he's like, this is what I need from you. But it's exactly what you're talking about is that he said, I need, whenever you're going to talk to me about something that has to do with parenting, I need you to preface it with telling me that I'm a great dad. Because if you don't do that, the first thing I hear is you're a shitty dad and I can't get past it to hear what you're saying. And, and here's the thing. I mean, people are talking about, you know, negotiating with narcissists and, and that's a huge buzzword right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as Laura Wasser said on our podcast, um, you know, whether the person actually is a narcissist or, or not, you know, in the clinical sense, it really doesn't matter because if your experience with that person is that they appear to be narcissistic, then that's your experience with them and you have to deal with them in that way. And, and the thing about narcissistic types of personalities is they are never going to give in, um, especially if they think that's what you want, or especially if they think that's going to take away from them in some way. So they always have to have the last word. And so you're going to have to come up with a way to back into getting them to give you what you want. You know within yourself that that's what you want, but make it appear to them that they're getting what they want. Yes. So, you know, just like, you know, with your husband uh, or ex-husband, you know, most people, when they hear that, they're going, I'm not going to say that. Screw him. He's a, you know, he's been a horrible husband. He cheated on me, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm I'm not giving him that satisfaction. Well, then guess what? You're not going to get what you want. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> well, and also, I mean, it really works, right? Because it makes them, like you said, we all want to know that we matter, right? And so when he asked me to do that, I said, fuck, of co- like, of course, if it's going to get you to hear me and get us through this, then like, no skin off my ass to be able to say that to you. And what it did was it made him feel like he mattered. It made him feel, it makes him feel, and he's a man who's hypersensitive to criticism. I mean, the bottom line is when you're divorcing someone, you know them so well. You know their triggers, you know their buttons. And what we want to do from an emotional retribution standpoint is push all their buttons, right? But that's from a strategic standpoint, that's a terrible idea. Yeah, no one ever wins from that. No one ever wins because the other side is never going to, you know, you got to think through what's going to be the end game here. What, what, where do I really want to go? Right. You know, is my, is my, um, mission here just to make the other person miserable because you're just going to keep yourself miserable in the process and spend lots of money right. on it because especially if you have lawyers involved, yep. I mean, you know, now you have to talk to your lawyer, they have to talk to their lawyer, and then that lawyer has to talk to them and then they have to come back. And, you know, every single one of those conversations costs money. Yep. So, a you lot know, of money. A lot of money. <laughs> like, like, is it is it worth that 
you know, $1,500, $2,000, $3,000 to simply say the thing that will make them calm? Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I want to remind people something that I say a lot as well, and that is no one has any power over the other person um, other than the judge. So, you know, you can't, um, you, you know, your lawyer can't help make the other person do what they you want them to do. You can't make the other person do what you want them to do. Their lawyer can't make them do anything. The only way you can make a person do something, and even then it can be questionable, is to get a court order. And, you know, and then sometimes people don't even obey those. The better way is to negotiate in a strategic way so that you can get what you want and, and get them to want to give it to you, get them to be happy about giving it to you. Right. And it's interesting because when you talk about knowing their pain points, right, this isn't about using their pain points against that, right? Because my, my husband's, my ex-husband's pain point is feeling like a bad dad, right? Now I could go into that pain point and make him feel like a shitty dad and negotiate from that place. Or I can understand that pain point and know what I need to do to massage it. That's exactly correct. What about himself? Right. So it's, it's important to distinguish, right. Like what we mean by that. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, some people, like when I say to them, you need to create leverage. Okay. They think, Oh, I don't want to create leverage. I don't want to fight. And I tell them, if you don't want to fight, then you need to create leverage. I know it sounds backwards, but you need to get the other person to feel motivated to want to have a conversation with you, to want to settle, to want to give you what what you want. And in order to create that leverage, you've got to know what's motivating them, you know, which may be a pain point or it may be something else. I mean, it may be money, it may be you know, they could be the same thing, like time with their children mm-hmm. or looking like a good dad or a bad dad or whatever. Right. Um, but now you know that that's the area that means the most to that person. So you, you're going to want to um, figure out a way that they can feel like they're getting that while you also are getting what you want. Right. Yes. Exactly. I had another guest on recently who was wonderful, who wrote an incredible book called Magic Words, woman, uh, Lindsay Ellison. It's called Magic Words, How to Get What You Want from a Narcissist. And it's a brilliant book because she comes from the, the world of marketing and branding. And she sort of applies marketing principles to getting what you want from a narcissist. And part of this is creating a personality profile where you're like, what are their pain points? What are the things, you know, what do they really want? And, and strategically using words that are specific that are going to land for them as if it's what they want or right. And it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's actually brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's magic words not to use too, or unmagic words that I say in negotiating, you know, that I would say women are more guilty of using, but not always. It can be men too. And, you know, things like, oh, I'm sorry to ask for this, or it's okay if you don't want to do this, or, um, you know, because... Disempowering, put whatever it is that puts us in a disempowering, uh, in in a disempowering position... Correct. Which we're, women are so good at. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what we do, right? This is how we've been conditioned. 
Yeah. I mean, because we don't want to look like we're being greedy or guilty or asking for too much or whatever. And, but, you know, people will think what you tell them to think. And so you're communicating to them not to, not to do it. I mean, you know, if somebody came in to me and said, well, you don't have to do this if you don't want to, you know, so I'd already be going, okay, so I don't have to do it. You know, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Right. Right. If you don't, if, if you don't want to be passive about it, like if this matters to you, using passive and disempowering language um, will completely undercut all of that. Absolutely. And body language is a big part of it too. Um, you know, there, I, I was fortunate enough to co-present on negotiation skills with Janine Driver, who's uh, a top body language expert. Um, she has these body language ex- um, institutes in Washington, D.C., and she invited me to come and co-present with her. Um, and it was really fascinating because uh, I got to hear a lot of what she was teaching as well. And so, you know, using powerful body language, just these tiny little things that you can do to appear more powerful that don't even take any work or effort, you know, like grabbing your chin or uh, draping your arm over the chair or, you know, having your hands on your hips in a certain way. Now, you have to be careful because if you have one hand, it could be, you know, uh, construed as sort of an attitude or whatever. There are things that people can do that appear more powerful. Steepling is another one where you take your fingers and just kind of put them together. You see doctors and presidents, <laughs> people, you know, doing that sort of thing. So those are some things that are easy things to do. And then there's also body language that you can read that, you know, you can kind of tell if the person is light uh-huh. or not maybe a hundred percent going to do what they say they're going to do. Maybe not necessarily lying, but maybe they're not going to commit. Uh-huh. you know, things like that. So those are just a couple of other things that you can think of when you're, when you're going, when you're actually in the room. Yeah. Interesting. That's really, that's really fascinating. Do you know what, what are some of the things that, that are tells for the lies or the. Yeah. So for men, if they're ventilating their hair from the front, like kind of like running their hair through the, their, their fingers mm-hmm. uh, while they're talking um, and for women, it's uh, it's uh, ventilating up from the back through the nape of the neck, um, up through their their hair. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> like, do I do that? Like, I don't. Yeah. You always think like, oh God, do I do that unconsciously? Do I like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, itching their nose, you know, a lot because if somebody's sort of sweating a little bit, they start to, you know, blinking a lot can be uh, a sign of lying. Um, you know, I mean, they, the body language experts tell you to be sort of careful about that because there people have a baseline of body language as well. Right. Um, that's sort of, you know, their way of doing things. And so maybe some people are, you know, they have allergies or something, so they're always rubbing their nose or whatever. For body language experts, they they can review lots and lots of tapes of people and come up with what their baseline is and then figure out when they're actually lying. Fascinating stuff. The other thing that's really fascinating is um, a concept called embedded commands. Um, And that's something you can use in negotiating too. And that is where you're kind of, and and we all sort of do this sometimes, but we don't even realize that this is what it is. But you say to the other person something like, um, that you aren't necessarily sure that that is 
what they're going to do or how they are, but you say it so that you're kind of telling them how to be. So a good example would be, I'm so, I always trust that you, like if you're talking to your teenager, I, I always trust that you make the right decisions, you know, something like that. You're basically right. telling them to make, make decisions. <laughs> correct. Correct. And yeah. So it's, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm sure you're going to make the right choice here. Correct. <laughs> so that's an embedded command. And those are good tools to use when you are talking to uh, somebody in a negotiating a negotiation. It's so funny because I just told uh, a client this. I just told them to sort of use this sort of language when talking to their husband about some ex-husband with something about co-parenting and to use language like, I know that you're really committed to putting our children first and making the right decision when it comes to, you know, how we discuss these sorts of things around our children, right? So you're saying like you're, the entire purpose of having the conversation is they're not behaving that way, right? But you're speaking the commitment as, as you said. Right. So you're embedding a command in them basically. And so, yeah, like who's going to say, I don't want the best for my child or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. So it's so much more powerful than the opposite, which is what I hear a lot where people go, don't you want what's best for our children? And, you know, don't, and of course the people are going to go, of course I do like what, you know, whatever. And they, but then they're on the defensive and they feel like they're being attacked. Um, and so now they're not in conversation with you. Right. And it's really, a, it's really an invitation, right? It's like, I, I know that you're committed, as committed to this as I am. And so you're inviting them to come to the table and work this through collaboratively. That's exactly right. And I'll tell you, this is not a divorce um, example, but a really great example for people if they want to go and check it out is on YouTube you can find where Mr. Rogers went in front of Congress in 1969. His show had only been on the air for one year and it was still kind of fledgling at that point. And he went in front of this really super gnarly, prickly Senator named uh, Senator John Pastore. And he, he, had this huge reputation for being extremely difficult, being, being very prickly, and he kind of relished it, you know, that particular senator. So here's nice little Mr. Rogers comes in front of him, and he, the senator starts off with, all right, Rogers, you've got the floor. Like, so disrespectful. Right <laughs> I talk to Mr. Rogers like that? It's right off the bat, that's what he starts with. And, you know, so Mr. Rogers starts with, you know, I've given you something to read. It's, it's about the, my philosophy and children. You've said that you'll read it and I trust that you will embed a command right there. Right there. I know that you care about the future of children and our country. Such embedded commands, embedded command, embedded command, embedded command. And um, within six minutes, he got this guy to give him $20 million, which is the equivalent of like $135 million today. In wow. Six minutes. At the end of it, the guy said, I very much want to watch the program. You've given me goosebumps, all of this stuff. Six minutes. 
So if you want to see a really good example of somebody, and you talk about one person had power and the other one didn't, you know, Mr. Rogers had none of the power. This guy had all of the power. And we're going to find that clip and put it in the show notes. We'll, uh, yeah. episodes in the show notes. Yeah. But he also had his research ready. You know, he had statistics, he had all the facts that were necessary to sway this person and he was able to do it. And that's step two, right? That's what you're talking about in in step two, which is the prep. Yeah. So I actually have an acronym that I use the word matter because everyone wants to matter. So I, I use the M is my value is defined by me Mm -hmm. and A is analyze your research and create your arguments and your leverage. Great. Um, T is actually dressed to a T and use powerful body language and, and powerful words. Mm-hmm. Um, because dressing like confidently, there's actually psychology today articles on how the impact on your psyche of what you're wearing. Yep. And um, the next T is tackle heart issues second. In other words, you want to use momentum, so you should do things that uh, you think you're probably going to be able to agree on first. First, and then you sort of like create come you know, that momentum. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. E is keep your emotions in check. And R is, um, and I talk, you know, I, I, I can talk more about, um, you know, how men and women are different in, in that arena with the emotional side of things. But I just, R is uh, record all agreements in writing, even if it's just a follow-up text or email, just to make sure. And by the way, even if you don't come to an agreement, it's not a loss because you, um, learn something. You always learn something when you, when you, talk to the other side and, and it will either prepare you for the next time you talk to that person or the next time you negotiate something else. Yes, absolutely. So let's go back to the emotions. You said that there are different ways that men and women uh, yeah. keep their emotions in check or not. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. The, the, the one thing that's beautiful about women and also can be a hindrance is that we are emotionally wired. That's why we remember things better than men do, because you remember things that you're emotionally tied to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the old quote by my Angelou, you remember how people treated you, not necessarily what they taught you, because it's like an emotionally um, embedded thing in your brain. So we are great with that. And it makes us nurturers and mothers and all of those things. But it also means that when you're negotiating, everything is tied to each other. And especially in a divorce, women are in front of their husbands and they want them to see, don't you see that this is the person that gave up my life for you? I raised your children. I gave birth to your children. I helped you through school. I you know, did your laundry all these years. I supported you when you were down, when you got fired, whatever. I mean, all of those things. And men see none of that. Yeah. They're very good at compartmentalizing. Their, their heads are like little boxes inside. They take out the one box that they need, and that's the only thing that's open at the time. And so they're, this is a business deal to them, and that's all they're seeing. You know, <laughs> how much time am I going to get with my kids? How much money am I going to have to pay out? You know, um, just the facts. They're very good at keeping it just the facts. 
And it's not to say they don't feel emotion. They do. It's just not present. Like they're not, they're totally not seeing. It's not tied to this particular transaction. Correct. And so it actually makes them better negotiators, especially in divorce. Uh, And so what I tell my female clients is that they need to also be, this is a business decision. Now, I, I will say that men are prone, more prone to anger if there's going to be an emotion involved with them. You know, they will, you know, if, if the other person is asking for too much or something they think isn't fair or whatever, they can get, it will inflame them and they can get angry, but they're not going to lose, you know, you're not going to see this big major emotion like, you know, fear or sadness or grief or, you know, some of these other things that you see with women, um, you know, they they take things personally. Um, just can't take it personally. This is a business deal. You got to get what you need to do, you get so that you can have the best life going forward for yourself and your children. And this sort of goes back to what, you know, to step one, right, is that deal with, deal with your emotional stuff first, like really get yourself emotionally grounded. And sort of what we were talking about earlier is like, don't dive into this negotiation process when you're in the, like the heat of your emotional process, like get yourself grounded so that when you go in, you're not looking for that validation. You're not looking for connection. Correct. You're not looking for, right. You, you're there for one particular person, right. If you've, if you've, if you've processed your emotions before you go into negotiating, then you as a woman can also be there as, and have it be a business transaction. Actually, exactly. I always say leave winging it to the birds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, before you go in, you're going to have created your first offer. You're going to know what your best case scenario is. Your worst case scenario is you're going to have anticipated what they're going to argue. You're going to have something to refute their arguments Um, you're going to have an idea of what your choke point is, you know, exactly where are you going to walk away at, uh, you know, what's your, what's going to be your bottom line. If you decide all of this stuff ahead of time, then it makes it so much easier when you're negotiating, especially in divorce, because, um, you know, nobody knows how to push your buttons like the other person, you know, that's why you're getting divorced. Not exactly. You know, each other really intimately. Yeah. Right. And you can use that for good to help you through this process, or, you know, it can be the thing that makes it go really badly. Exactly. And it really is a choice. And I, you know, it's just, I want to sort of like hammer home the idea that like you can wait, you can pause, you cannot dive into this. You can take the time that you need to work with a coach, hello, or a therapist or whoever else to really process the emotional aspect before going into the negotiations, which I always advocate for because, um, it doesn't work the other way very well. Absolutely. And don't give away your leverage too early. Once you have your leverage, I would make sure I say that I've had a client who did that once. (laughs) What do you mean? Say, can you say more about that? Uh, he found a cell phone in the marital home. She had moved out of the, the home and um, left the cell phone behind, which is also marital property. And he plugged it in. It was her old phone. And there were all kinds of great text messages that were going to be good trial exhibits for the custody stuff. And um, 
And instead of like letting us use them when we needed to, he couldn't help himself and ended up sending them to her and said, what's this all about? And look what I found and you're going down. And, and I thought, well, now she's going to be able to figure out how to couch them and defend right. herself. And, you know. Right, right. So that'll give away your leverage too early. That's a good point. That's a good point. So you have a book coming out. I do within the next month, I hope. So yeah, and probably by the time we get this out into the world, it'll, it'll it might actually be. Yes, <laughs> there. That's definitely true. Yeah, we'll see. I, yeah, I got to check out the timing, but yeah. So tell us a little bit about, uh, tell us a little bit about your book. Yeah. So it's called Negotiate Like You Matter, but it's M-A-T-T-E-R with periods after because it's the surefire method to step up and win. Um, and it's the points that I gave you, but also so much more. There's exercises and resources and all sorts of, of things in there. So um, it'll be absolutely, I wanted the guide, the tool that people could use to be able to get what they want not only in divorce negotiation, but any other type of negotiation. Great. And we will definitely link to that in the show notes, um, whether it's, well, we'll link to your website. Do you have like a pre-sale or something so that if it's... Not yet, not yet. Um, I have to talk to my publisher about that, but um, we'll definitely... We'll link to something. <laughs> on my website, for sure. It'll be, anything will be on my website. Everything will be on your website. Right. Exactly, exactly. Um, any parting words that uh, you want to leave anybody with? I always just leave with, remember that you and you alone define your value and people will think what you tell them to think. That's perfect. I couldn't, couldn't end it any better. I love that. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you for coming on and talking to us about this. And I look forward to more conversations. Rebecca is going to have me on her podcast soon. So <laughs> we are doing all sorts of um, work together. So um, yeah, thank you. So I just, I will, I guess I should say on my website is RebeccaZung.com. Yes. And that'll be in the show notes too, along yeah. with your podcast. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.